Thanks for the applause. It's a little weird. Uh, how about we applaud Jesus and his word? All right. Um, hey, I just want to say uh, the ladies' conference, if you're a lady, please go to that because I just got back from the men's conference and I'm like amped, kind of. And so you might have to forgive me because my word not good today. Um, so I'm going to read the scripture real quick. We are on page 987 in the Bibles around the room. If you don't have a Bible, please go ahead and take one of those Bibles home with you. And we are reading 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 through 13. And after I read it, I would ask that you would join me in saying, thanks be to God. And we say that because we're thanking him for the scripture. Because if you think about it right now, there's people around this city who are all gathering together at the same time, worshiping the same God and using the same word as the authority over all of the preaching and stuff that's done in their service, which is awesome. And it goes beyond that. There's people in China right now. There's somebody preparing breakfast burritos right now that will go later to a service. And think about it. It's not just right now globally. It's right now globally throughout time. So there's 500 years ago, somebody was making a taco and they were going to go to a service or even, honestly, the very apostles who penned these words were looking forward to seeing what God's going to do on a Sunday. And we get to partake in that with them. So we are thankful for that. So please join me after reading this in saying thanks be to God. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. All right. First Thessalonians 3, 5 through the rest of the chapter. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all, all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? Now, May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Now if you bow your heads, I'm going to pray for us today. Lord, God, <clears throat> thank you for your word. Please make it active in our lives and effective in our lives through the Spirit. Um, by the power of the Spirit, make it work in our lives. We pray this through Jesus to the Father. Please help that um, this wouldn't just be something about reading the word or, or practicing our faith, but this would be something spiritual that actually encourages our hearts this morning. Please bless Pastor Greg 
as he gives us this sermon. And Lord, please uh, help, uh, help this uh, sermon to reach us deep, deep in our souls this morning. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Gospel encouragement. I wonder, is there anyone in here that could use encouragement? Is there anybody in here that hasn't, when asked in the last week, responded with, to how you are doing? Busy. Anybody? Anybody say, I'm busy? Like, everybody that I talk to, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm stressed, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm stressed, and, and tears start falling down your face. Life's crazy, man. We need encouragement. Last week, uh, Pastor Jim was talking about suffering. And this week, we kind of continue in this idea a little bit of suffering as we look at gospel encouragement. What it means to be encouraged when we're overwhelmed, when we're tired, uh, when our kid drives us crazy again, when we drive ourselves crazy again, when we do something stupid and we just need to be encouraged. Uh, this is a great encouragement. I, as I was studying this text, um, I don't know, man, we think about Paul. When I think about Paul, I think, man, I don't really try to be like Paul. Paul's too, that's too high of a standard, man. This dude studied at the best schools growing up. He knew everything that was written in the word of God up until that point. He wrote more than half of what would be added to the word of God in the New Testament. He met Jesus face to face after Jesus had already ascended into heaven on the Damascus road. He was filled with the spirit. He then, after all that, studied another like 13 or 14 years and then started a mission, being a missionary to out all of the known world at that time. I'm like, I can't be like Paul. I mean, that's way too high of standard. But in this text today, I think we see a part of Paul that is maybe a little more attainable. We see Paul, and I honestly, like, I've always thought just Paul the missionary. Like, Paul's a missionary. He's an evangelist. He's, like, going around preaching the gospel, and that's what he does. But I think in this text, we see Paul the pastor. We see Paul um, just pouring out his own heart. He's being honest. He's being vulnerable. And by doing that, he's encouraging the Thessalonians as they have encouraged him. So we're in our fifth week in Thessalonians. Uh, if you haven't been with us and if you haven't noticed the artwork everywhere, it says viral hope. What is viral hope? We're, we're talking about the gospel and how it moving throughout history, throughout uh, places, it has become the hope of all people. It is the only hope that we have to stand on. And so we're in our fifth week. Uh, we've looked at a few things last week. Like I said, we looked at this idea of gospel suffering and how we're called to suffer. And by way of reminder, I just want to read uh, the first part of chapter 3. Uh, it's, it's 1 through 4. It says this. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For what? We're destined for afflictions. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions, just as it has come to pass, 
and just as you know. So Paul is telling us to expect suffering, and yes, I am going to get to encouragement, but uh, I'm encouraging you to suffer well first. Um, in our suffering, though, we can find joy and hope. There is good news in our suffering. Um, I'm reminded of, of Hebrews, and we've used this before as, as part of our assurance of, of pardon, but in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, um, chapter 4, 14 through 16, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus suffered affliction. And Jesus gives us the help that we need, the encouragement that we need to make it through those same sufferings. So let's jump into the text. Uh, verse 5 is where we're starting. And it says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tested you and our labor would be in vain. This is one of the surefire promises that we see over and over again in the Bible. When you are moving by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, you will be tempted and you will be afflicted. It's a guarantee. And I think Paul is trying to think about the people in Thessalonica who are probably, if they're anything like you and me, they feel like, man, we're suffering all this stuff. We must be getting something wrong. Or maybe we're screwing this up. Maybe we're, maybe we're not on the right path and God's punishing us. But that's not at all what's happening. And Paul's pointing to them and reminding them of what he told them earlier in this chapter, that you will, you will suffer as a Christian. In fact, we have a very clear example of that, if you remember uh, the story of Jesus right after his baptism. So Jesus lives 30 years. I'm sure he was tempted at times, but he lives 30 years of sinless life. And then the day he steps out into public ministry, what happens? He gets baptized. And then what it says in verse four, uh, chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So 30 years probably went by a little easier, maybe than the next 40 days, which would be the hardest 40 days up until uh, the time of his crucifixion. And look what you see here. You don't see Jesus was like, man, I'm just going to go hang out in the woods for 40 days and see what happens. He's led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is leading him into a season where he will fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. What it doesn't say is that the Spirit tempted him. That's not what happened. The Spirit doesn't tempt us. God doesn't tempt us to sin, but he allows us uh, to be pushed and to be tried for our own good. Uh, the funny thing about that text, if you read through it, this tempting of the devil, um, is that sometimes we think the devil has more power than he does. It was the will of God, it was the leading of the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into this season of temptation. The devil is the prince of darkness. He's not the king of anything. I really wanted to say the S word right there. I was talking about the sermon. He's not the king of anything. 
Like, that's how I feel about it, man. That's the truth. The devil, he's, he's nothing. But he's a very real thing now, and Paul knew that. That's why he starts off this uh, note of encouragement by acknowledging that they are tempted, that they are going through trials, and he, he was very concerned about them. And so we see he kind of keeps moving into, into uh, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. He says the good news right there, which is what we say the gospel is, right? The gospel is the good news. He's getting the gospel back from Timothy as he's hearing the report of the people in Thessalonica that they are filled with faith and love. Like this, this is giving Paul great joy. This is giving Paul great encouragement. Does this encourage you? Like what is it that, that brings us encouragement? When we hear about somebody's faith, is that encouraging to us? Or is it totally based on like the superficial? Like we're encouraged because we got a new job. We're encouraged because we got a new car. We're encouraged because we got a new girlfriend. Or, or are we seeing the encouragement of the gospel moving? I was thinking about it this week and talking with Gavin uh, Jarvis. And for those of you who don't know, he was a pastor here at the Sparks campus and was called to move down to Carson to um, lead that church, the Livingstones Church in Carson. This is the kind of thing that we find our encouragement in. You guys gave up a great pastor. As I've gotten to know Gavin the last couple of months, God, what a blessing, man. That dude's awesome wisdom he's got a ton of smarts he's kind he's gentle i don't think he ever gets angry he doesn't look like the type he's just a jolly dude and he loves jesus but think about it if you don't know the carson church was pretty much on its last leg they were dying there were very few people left in that church the pastor was gone and because of your sacrifice just like paul's that church is like two weeks ago baptized four people they're getting close to a hundred uh, people come into that church every Sunday. They're growing. There's community groups growing. You know, clap. That's like, that's encouragement. Like, if you see, if you guys, those of you are, that are friends with Gavin, you probably saw him like eight months ago. He was tired and he was getting worn out. Now I see him, because uh, I, you know, I talk to him pretty much every week, and you're starting to see that smile come in because he's, he's seeing the fruit of the labor. He's feeling that. He's encouraged by that. Just like Paul like, we think about Paul again, like this, Paul's the man. Like, like I said, he wrote half the New Testament. He was the quintessential missionary. No one has had a greater impact outside of Jesus Christ on, on the world than Paul. Like, that's a fact, man. It just is. And here he is worried about the people of Thessalonica. He's worried that they may be falling away. And even in this text, he's reminded that it's not his work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He was there three weeks. He was in Thessalonica three weeks, and he had the jet. And yet, here we are, way down the road. He's sitting in Corinth, writing this letter to him, celebrating that the Holy Spirit has continued to lead them by faith, in love, toward one another, toward uh, the church. And he says this in uh, verse 7, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through the faith. Again, Paul just finds great joy in knowing that they have faith. The bitterness of having to leave them behind, 
is relieved by the fact that they are living in faith. The pain and the trials that Paul experiences, we've been over this the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about Paul and his missionary journeys, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwreckings. Shipwreckings, is that a thing? And yet he's encouraged not by wealth or not by having a great season where he hasn't been beaten in a while. He's encouraged by their faith. Do we look at one another? Do we see each other's faith and does it encourage each other? Do we share, like we think about sharing our faith and we're like, yeah, that's, that's, we go outside and we share our faith with people that don't believe. Do we share our faith with one another? Do we celebrate our victories? We just had a men's retreat. We had like 80 dudes hanging out. They sang way louder than you guys have ever sang. I was blasting. Like we had three guys on guitar with mics and they were still blasting way louder than us. And I think somebody's got a recording of it. It was loud. It was loud. And for those of you who are at the men's retreat, you better be singing like that on this Sunday. But it's encouraging, like hearing that as a man, especially as like a worship pastor. Like I, I, I look out sometimes and I see a lot of dudes like this and I'm like, come on. And then the ladies are all singing and they're crying and the guys are just like, 49ers game starts soon. <laughs> but at this men's retreat, man, it was, it was beautiful. And if you were there, it was great. And it was an encouragement. We got to share stories with one another to encourage and bless one another for the faith. This next verse is awesome. Verse eight, he says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And the uh, NASB translated, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. The idea here of true living, like we're all alive in this room right now, but what are we truly living into? Paul says, we are truly alive if you are standing in the Lord. Like that, it means that much to him to see his brothers and sisters following Christ. It's a fact. Paul is pointing to the fact that when we are standing firm in the Lord, that we are truly living. I started thinking about that, uh, like salt life stickers on people's car, as if being at the beach is true living. Well, it wasn't true living for the people in the Bahamas a week and a half ago. Like those things are, are futile and they're great. I mean, I love being at the beach. But is that true living? True living is standing fast in the ways of God. And then he kind of poses this, I don't know, it seems like an odd question. It seems rhetorical. I like felt like the question mark shouldn't be at the end of, chapter, of uh, verse 10. But he says this in 9 and 10, he says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So he's kind of just looking at this like he's thanking God for the perseverance of the, of the uh, Thessalonians. He's thanking God, and, and, and we should be doing that same thing. We should be thanking God that we were able to send Gavin to Carson. We should be thanking God that we're able to send Kyle away to, to Reno to bless that church. You know, most churches lose a lot of pastors, and it's because they failed as pastors. I don't know of anybody in the Sparks Church that's been the case. The pastors have gone because they have succeeded, because they have been faithful, because they have been well-loved by you guys, because they've been encouraged and built up. 
I was talking, we've been talking about getting ready for uh, the party for Kyle on October 6th, and obviously I haven't been at this church uh, for eight years, but I was like, you guys tell me some stories, like who should get up and, and tell some stories, and uh, somebody told me the story of Kyle's first sermon, uh, and it sounded really funny, like eight minutes, and he screamed and cried, and then like walked off the stage. <laughs> But by the grace of God and because of the commitment of many of you in this room who I know have been here since day one, he's empowered to go bless and preach at a church of 1,200, 1,300 people in the heart of Reno to lead the five churches of Living Stones and our vision for what we see in northern Nevada for planting more churches. Yes, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, but he has worked that through us. We can celebrate that Kyle and Amanda get to go bless others as they've blessed us, and we can celebrate those things. Yeah, it hurts. It sucks. Paul said it was going to suck. Like, you're going to hit, hit with affliction. Like, expect it. Embrace it. Love it. Because it's a surefire sign that you're doing what God's called you to do. And then he ends kind of this section with like a mini benediction. He says in verse 11 through 13, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's like, I don't know, probably like, 10 to 15, I didn't count them, but I've used most of them, uh, benedictions that Paul wrote throughout uh, his letters to these churches. And every one of them could be like 15 sermons. They're so, like just this section of text right here could have been our whole sermon today. And you see our liturgy as we unfolded each week, wrapped up in these three verses. You see the Trinity wrapped up in these three verses. So let's just unpack it a little bit here. So he starts off, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's affirming in this brief moment that not only was Jesus the Son of God, but Jesus is co-equal. He's, he's joining them together. God our Father and our Lord Jesus, one person tearing away the heresy that Jesus is not the eternal son of God. And then he's saying what? Direct our way. So may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, giving all glory to God our Father, giving all praise to Jesus and his work before he says what he wants to say, taking it to where it starts. And he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. This is where we're going to sit for a few minutes. This idea, and it's throughout all of Paul's letters, saying, may the Lord increase and abound in you love for one another. And then he ties that into verse 13, that that is going to make you holy. And that's not what we usually think about when we think about holiness, right? Like we're, we're expecting Paul to say, stop doing this, 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 so that you can be holy. 
But that's not what he says. He's asking that God, the Father, because of the work of the Son, implied but not directly stated here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, establish your hearts blameless in holiness through increasing your love for others and for one another. This is a theme throughout the entire Bible. It is, these are Jesus' words. If you look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40, it's what Jesus says. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus saying to his followers, Paul reiterating in this benediction, love God, love others. If you love God and love others, you will continue in holiness. I think that's hard for us to swallow. Like, in every one of us is a little legalist who's like, mm, sounds really good, but I also need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. And we just start burying uh, more crap on the stuff that we already have. We're already tired. We're already busy. And now we're just like, yeah, I need to add more because Jesus needs me to whip myself a few times. But if we see, as Paul did, that Jesus took on himself the entire wrath of God and paid the entire price. We just sang it. Jesus paid it all. Then we're not so concerned with those things and we're, we're directed toward the command that Jesus said was the most important. Love God and love others, and that will fulfill the entire law of the prophets. Like, have you read Leviticus? Have you read the Old Testament? It's like, besides the Ten Commandments, which are hard enough, right? Jesus already freaking blew that one out of the water in that same passage in Matthew when he's talking about uh, the Ten Commandments. But there's like 400 and some odd laws in the, in the Old Testament. I mean, you can't shave your sideburns. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. But Jesus, this is, this is part of the reason they killed him. This is part of the reason the, that the Jews hated him so much. Because he said this. He said, love God and love others, and you fulfill the entire law of the prophets. Like, you, that's it. And we could spend days talking through that, and there's all kinds of implications. But if Jesus said that's it, that's it. So we're piling up these burdens on ourselves that we ought not be doing, and Paul is reminding us of that. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's incredible. Paul says this in Galatians a little differently, but he says in Galatians 6, 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, that's loving one another. In 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, it says, above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So this is what we're looking for. This is the encouragement that Paul has for us is that 
We don't have to cover ourselves and bury ourselves with, with so much stuff. He's reminding himself that. He's like, I was only there for three weeks. I got to preach for three weeks, and I had to leave, and I was scared to death that they would have all walked away from God. But he sees that because of the work of the Holy Spirit, they did exactly what Jesus had called them to do. They, they loved each other, and they had faith. So that's like the, the, it's the challenge for us. That's, that's the challenge, right? To love, love one another. Um, we talked about it at the men's retreat. You kind of unpacked. And I think sometimes we forget. So maybe we should remind each other what it is we believe. And Paul already kind of expressed it in the first part of Thessalonians as he kind of does in most of his letters. He has this long kind of introduction to his letters where he unpacks kind of who Jesus is, why he's our hope. But we're coming up on Christmas season coming within a few months. We're going to be reminded of the virgin birth of Christ, the ultimate humility, something that we can never fathom, something that we could never ever wrap our mind around that the God of all gods, the creator of all things, humbled himself to become man. That Jesus was born the Virgin Mary. She, he lived 30 years sinless. He made it through the awkward middle school years without sin. And for 30 years, he, he humbly worked as a carpenter, just doing his thing. Being the son of God, being eternal God, being the creator of the entire universe for which he was sitting on and standing in. So he lives those 30 years. He Again, he walks out into public ministry, spends the next three years being persecuted, being afflicted. Walking still without sin. Gets betrayed by one of his one of his boys. Gets stripped naked and beaten. Again, just humbly submitting. Like God of gods, power of all power, being spit on, beaten, takes it, doesn't fire shots he takes it and then if that wasn't enough he gets to carry that hunk of wood up a hill bleeding sweating more spitting gets crucified on that cross and in that moment bears the entire wrath of God the word we use is uh, penal substitutionary atonement that that Jesus had to be perfect because he had to be a perfect sacrifice. And in his perfection, died the death of, of the worst sinner, took it, bore the entire wrath of God, and for the first time ever experienced separation from God the Father. And in that moment, he says the three words, it is finished, right? It is finished. What's finished? 
Striving, that's good. What's finished for you? Condemnation? What else? No more shame. No more guilt. Sin. All sin. And it doesn't even stop there. Like, crucified, the wrath of God. Like, that's good news. But then what? Jesus is dead for three days and he rises again, defeating death. And he ascends to God the Father as an advocate. Like we read in Hebrews that Jesus didn't, he doesn't look down on us in anger. This, this affliction, these things, this persecution that, that the people of Thessalonica are dealing with is not God's wrath on them. That's already been poured out on Christ. God's not angry with them. They can rejoice. They can have hope in their sufferings because of Jesus. Like that's what Paul did. It said Paul went to Thessalonica and for three Sabbath days he reasoned with the, the rabbis. What did he reason with them about? He was trying to tell them Jesus was the Messiah that you guys have been waiting on for hundreds of years. Like he's come. He's done it. It's done. Open your eyes. Quit being a stooge. And he only had three. So he had three Sabbath days to do that and he was out. And the Holy Spirit took over. And the Holy Spirit walked the people of Thessalonica through, through faith. So we're, we're reminded of the, the truth that God's wrath's already been taken out on Christ. So we can just love. We don't have to worry about the rest of the rules. Yes, we, we obey God's law but not to please God in a way that's, that's saving. It's to please God as a thank you. It's our worship. God, you've done it all. You've, you've taken care of me, and now I can freely do the right thing. I can freely give of myself because it doesn't matter when I fail. It really doesn't. And people get mad sometimes. Legalists love getting mad when I say it. Like, it doesn't matter. Either you're hiding behind the cross or you're doomed to hell anyway. So hide behind the cross of Christ. It is finished. It's paid. We are blameless. I was thinking about that, like this idea of God loving us first. Sin is when we doubt that. Like when we doubt that God loves us, loves us that's, that's when sin comes into our lives. Like the very first sin, it was Adam and Eve, right? Eating of the apple. Why did, why did Adam and Eve eat of the apple? Because they didn't believe that God loved them. Like if God loved me, he would have already given me all the knowledge. He would have, he would have given me those things. And when we sin, it's, it's because we don't believe that God loved us. Like that's what Jesus is pointing us to. If your eyes are fixed on God, if you love God and you're loving others, there's no sin in you. It's when we turn our gaze from God and we look at something else that we're in sin. So his encouragement is, is the love. And it sounds piffy if you want it to sound piffy. I don't care. Like, it's what Jesus said. Like, it wasn't John Lennon. He didn't start the all you need is love. That was Jesus, man. So that's our encouragement for each other, to love one another. Like, to really love one another. Why? Because God loves us. 
is God stopped at nothing to save us. He he gave himself. Like, I don't know if you, wish it was Easter. It would be easier. But like, have you ever read, uh, I think it's 50 Reasons Jesus Came to Die? Is that it? It's uh, It's really amazing. Like, you think about, like, why did God choose to show his love that way? Because it's the only way we'd understand. Like, it's the only thing that makes, that's, that's, that's tangible for us is to see sacrifice. And that's what we're called to do for one another. We read a minute ago that uh, showing the love of God is, is bearing one another's burdens. And then bearing one another's burdens that covers a multitude of sins. So that's our call. That's our call today is to love one another, to be encouraged by what we see Jesus doing in Nevada, what we see Jesus doing throughout the world, to cling to the idea, to the truth that God does love you. In your weakest moments, in your greatest moments, he loves you the same. You can live in that and love out of that. Loving out of any other uh, motivation is still sin. It's, it's marred in sin. Our motivation is Christ. Our motivation is because he first loved us. It's almost 2,000 years ago that Paul set out on these missionary journeys, traveling. Can, like, can you imagine, like, did Paul have any idea that this is where we'd be today? Like, what a... I don't know, man. Like, just think about your own life. Like, what if times, what, what, what things has God done through you to encourage you? Like, we don't stop and slow down to think about that. It's a crazy story. I, I had a buddy uh, when I was growing up. And we were best friends, whatever. We played all together. And I remember trying to trick him into becoming a Christian. So, like, I, I, I wrote out, this prayer of salvation, and I, I was like, hey, man, you should read this. And he read it, and I'm like, I told him he was a Christian. I was like, you just, I mean, we were kids, right? I didn't see that dude for like, I don't know, easy 30 years until I saw him again. And we Facebook comes out, right? You start reconnecting with old friends. The dude hits me up, and he's like, do you remember when you wrote that prayer and made me read it? I'm like, I didn't at the time. And I was like, okay, now I remember. And it started like, Coming back, I, mean, I can remember exactly where we were standing on the corner of Lupin Lane and Alder in Crestline, California, where there's like a little fire hydrant right there, and, or a pole of some sort. Anyway, <laughs> like I remembered it, and he's like, I'm a Christian today because of that. Like, that was the seed that planted in my life. And I'm like, that was a stupid kid. Like, <laughs> that like goes against everything I believe now. I'm like, don't pray the Lord. Don't pray a prayer of salvation. Like, the Holy Spirit moves but yeah, the Holy Spirit moves. It's not on your shoulders. You can't screw it up. I can't screw it up. I, dude, this sermon, I haven't had any time to work on it all week. <laughs> I had some notes on a piece of paper, like, but it doesn't matter. Buddha asked me this morning, he's like, how are you feeling? I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to say, but I feel really good. <laughs> because this is the text, right? We can't screw it up. Our hope, Paul couldn't have screwed it up. Paul was there for three weeks, and Thessalonica spread the gospel for three. It's 350 miles to Corinth where he's writing this letter, where he's saying, everybody knows about the Thessalonians. 
or Neekins, if you want to say that. So you can't screw it up. That's your encouragement. You can't out God. You hear that, but do you believe it? Do you believe that you can't lose the salvation that you had nothing to do with in the first place? Do you hide behind the cross? Like, people ask you, like, what are you going to say when you walk through those gates and they're looking there, what are you going to do? Like, there's only one thing to say, and that's Jesus. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, then you know you can't screw it up. Then you know you can share love with your brothers. You can confess sin to your brothers. You can go to community group, a big hot mess one night, and be like, I suck. I'm an idiot. Like, this is me. and I'm just telling you guys the truth. I don't even have a shirt on. I couldn't find one. <laughs> you can't mess it up. Cling to Christ. Man, we're all busy. Like, we're all a mess. Like all of us are like, we, I, if you're like me, you feel like you're like one screwed up situation and it's all done. I'm losing everything. My house will be gone. I'll, I'll, like just one little thing goes off. Like we're barely holding on. And my wife and I are like, do you have the kids? I don't know. Do you have the kids? Where are the kids? <laughs> I thought you were going to pick them up. Hopefully they're walking home. It's like, do they even know where we live? Like, it's a mess. So we cling to Christ. I want to play uh, just a, I guess it's quick, relatively, three and a half minute video. Um, just kind of close out our service. And, and it really has nothing to do with the sermon. But what it has to do with, it does in a way. Like, all right, so Paul traveled many miles, bore many afflictions, for the sake of the gospel. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're able to do the same thing. Again, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ alone. But Paul's in, Paul was the, the man used of God to, to point and to press the gospel out. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we had three members of, of our church join members of the other Living Stones churches in Honduras uh, as part of Living Waters. So it's like, this is our encouragement that we see the money that we give the people of our church going to Honduras to love on people, to share the gospel, to give water. Like This is our encouragement. Be encouraged when you see uh, the work of God, trusting the Holy Spirit to do the work, and rejoicing in our brothers and sisters. Let's watch this video. And uh, in the words of Stephen Brown, I won't pray. I'll just say that's enough of that.
push and pull like a command. So you. 